Today's first Bible reading is taken from the first book of Samuel, chapter 21, verse 10 to 15. That day, David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sang about in the dances? Saul has slain his thousands, and David's his tens of thousands? David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. But he pre- so he pretended to be insane in the presence, and while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Achish said to his servants, Look at this man. He's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? The second reading today is taken from Book of Psalm, chapter 34. Of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he left. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I exalt the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good things. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves lives and desires to see many good days, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears attentive to the cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out the name from the earth. The righteous cried out and the Lord hears him. He delivered them from all the troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked, 
The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Well, how do you know something is good? How do you know something is good? It's a basic question uh, and basic answer is really, well, someone tells you. You say, try this, taste this, have a go at this. Or, or you see something and you think, hey, that looks pretty good. And we, we just came back from holidays uh, as a family from North Queensland and uh, my kids entered the plane and uh, they entered from the front, right? And they see first class. Ooh, this looks good. Look at these chairs, they said. Look at this TV. <laughs> Your father's a pastor. We're all the way down the back. We ain't staying here, kids. You know, they saw something interesting. They knew it's good. But there's a difference between seeing and knowing something that's good and then experiencing it, tasting it, encountering it. Because when you do that, you know, ah, this is good. We've just finished the series on the life of David. And uh, next week, we, look, we begin our series on eschatology. We're going to look at what does the Bible have to say about end times, the future, the fact that Jesus is returning, heaven and hell. That kicks off next Sunday. But this Sunday, we're going to call it a bonus episode. We're looking at a psalm, a song that David wrote, and there's some beautiful truths in here. See, Psalm 34 is an invitation by David to God's people, to us, and the invitation really is eight words. It's on the screen. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Whether you're here and you haven't been in church for a long time, whether you consider yourself a skeptic, someone who's on the fence, this is an invitation for you. Come and see that the Lord is good. If you've been a Christian for a long time, this is an invitation for you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. But you know, what, what, so what we're going to do, just to let you know, is, is we're going to look at that sentence, taste and see the Lord is good. We're going to look at it in reverse order. So we're going to start with the word good, right, as we look into this psalm. But you know, when someone says, hey, I want you to try this, it's really good, right? I know about you, but there's a bit of skepticism that wells up. I think, why are you saying that? You know what? Why are you recommending? Why is it good? You know, someone says, oh, you should try this movie. It's really good. You think, yeah, but you're into arty movies, and I like a plot line in my films, you know? Or someone says, oh, you should go to that restaurant. It's really good. You know, yeah, but do I have to get a second mortgage when the bill comes? You're sort of like, what, what, what's going on? There's a bit of skepticism. When a Christian says, oh, God is good, there's a natural thing to say, why are you saying that? You're saying that because life's going well, you're very happy, you've got a well-balanced family. You know, it's easy to say God is good when things are going well, isn't it? But when David says it, life is not going well for him. I mean, this psalm is written with a little preface that says, when David pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. You just read in 1 Samuel 21, you're right, And now you might be thinking, well, we did a whole series on David. Don't remember this. This is a moment, right, where David is on the run from Saul, his enemy, who is trying to kill him, and he meets another enemy, the king of Gath, right, where Goliath was from, and he's facing him, and he's overwhelmed. He's 
at wit's end. He panics. And the only thing he knows what to do as he stands before this king is just pretend to be insane. That's the only trick he's got, right? To pretend that he is insane and they just throw him out. This is so different to David and Goliath. It is a stressful moment in a season of great anxiety for David. And yet David is saying, ah, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is not easy for him to say he's not flippant or fake or forced. Now, just in case you think it is unique for David, notice these words that were read in the rest of the psalm, which says, the righteous who are brokenhearted. Verse 18, who are crushed. Verse 19, who have many troubles. He's speaking to God's followers, and he's saying, you are able to say, if you're in any of those situations, the Lord is good. See, Christianity doesn't save you from the troubles of life. But in the troubles of life, there's a way of still saying, God is good, even now. But the only way you do that is if you clarify the good, right? Because the problem is most of us say, the Lord is good, but we like to add a little word, when. The Lord is good when i got good health. The Lord is good when i found the love of my life. The Lord is good when my friendship circles are doing well, it's humming, when the bank account is full, right? But notice it's not that the Lord is good, full stop. When you attach external evidence to God's goodness and say that is the marker of where God is good or not, you and I know that that will not last because all things in our life go. You might have a couple of good years where it's going well, but they will quickly fade. David is inviting to experience that the Lord is good, full stop. And then when the hardship comes, when the stressful things come, when your heart is broken, when you're terrified, even then you can say the Lord is good. But it only happens when you remove the word when that we place there. Because what is it? Taste and see that the Lord is good. For David is saying what surpasses any benefit that you get in life, the benefit is actually knowing God. And it's like what I've noticed with a lot of parents, right? When they're going through a season where they feel distant from their kids, it might be they're working a lot, right? They're not around. It might be going through a separation. They, they might be a sick kid and they're neglecting the other kid. Whatever it is, what often will happen is the parents will buy their kids lots of things, expensive things, the Xbox, the toy, right? Just trying to throw all these things at their kids think it'll be all right, it'll be all right. But what is it that the kid needs in the end? They just need mum. They just need dad. And the same is for you and I, right? We think we need the gadgets and the clothes and the luxuries like that. That'll keep us happy. No, but in the end, you know what we need? God and his presence, his kindness that is there. And that's the thing that David spends most of this time, most of his time in this psalms unpacking. Verse 15, hear these words. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive. Verse 17, he hears you. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. What David is saying, the biggest blessing in his life never has to do with the things that he has, but who knows him? You know, it's interesting. This psalm in the original, in the Hebrew, is an acrostic poem where David takes each letter of the Hebrew alphabet to write a sentence, a verse, 22 in fact. 
Now, I don't know the last time you wrote an acrostic poem, probably back in year three, right? And you remember them, you know, your friend Penelope Richard, you know, R is, for, you know. It, it, it takes a bit of time, particularly if your friend's got the letter X or Q in their name, right, to try and find a word that summarises them. But what an acrostic poem does is it slows you down as you're not only thinking what word captures this person, but what word is an accurate reflection of who they are. It slows you down and you think. And what David is doing here is slowing down saying, I know the Lord is good, but how good is he? A, B, C, C, uh, close. The Lord is close. When I was devastated, brokenhearted, he was there, not with just advice, but he was there. A, B, C, D, he delivers. You know, when I was stuck in that situation, when I felt like an idiot, I didn't get myself out. He delivered me from it. A, B, C, D, E, E for eyes. His eyes are always on me. Though others presume I'm fine, he knows I'm not. See, what David is doing here is slowing down. He's knows the goodness of God is God himself. You know us Aussies, we love the word good, don't we? How are you? Good. How's your holiday? Good. How's your family? Good. How's God? Good. You need to slow down. How good is he? It's like when I went to the Louvre in France. I did the whole thing in an hour or two, right? Just walked in, yep, Mona Lisa, tick, right? You know how it was? It was good. If I slowed down and actually pondered and looked and absorbed, there's a goodness there that I was missing out on the quickness. And there is a goodness to God that you're missing out on the busyness of life, but when you slow down, say, how good is he? Because, friends, when we do that, we would have a longer list than David because David had no idea how indeed close God would get. Because if we did A, B, C, C, close, that though we were far off through Jesus' blood, he brought us to himself, uniting himself to Jesus, that wherever Jesus goes, we go with. Uh, D, delivers, that he delivered us from the pit of death that we were about to fall into, that he saved us from our obsession with sin, so that's not you anymore. E, eyes. His eyes are always on me, that he doesn't see a failure when he looks at me, but he sees his son Jesus, so I'm perfect. I can never fail him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. But here's the thing, right? We've just really focused on those last couple of words, the Lord is good. We haven't really touched on the taste and see. Because there's two types of knowledge, isn't there? One is an intellectual knowledge to know that the Lord is good. It's your head, right? Think, okay, I know what good is, I know what the Lord is. Yep, it's in the Bible, I understand it. I might go through a hard time, memorize a verse or not, or two. Okay, the Lord is good, but that's intellectual. There's a different type of knowledge that this is wanting you to know, and that's the spiritual knowledge, the taste and see to the experience of knowing God. Because a lot of Christians are good at the Lord is good part. We know that. But how do you taste and see that the Lord is good? Because it's a bit weird, right? If I said, oh, taste this strawberry, it's good, you know what to do. <laughs> if I said, oh, go see that sunrise, okay, I would walk and see it, open my eyes, right? But how do you taste and see that the Lord is good, right? What does that mean? The good thing is we don't have to guess. 
We know what the taste is. We know what the seed part is because we see it in verse 12 to 14 and verse 4 to 5. Let's have a look. Verse 12 to 14. This is the taste part. If you want to know that the Lord is good, taste it. Verse 12 gives us the answer. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The logic is this. If you want to love your life, you want to experience good things, obey God. The flip side is this. If you're sitting there thinking, you know what? My life sucks. You think, well, you are a bit of a chronic liar. You're not very kind. You've got bad breath, right? You sort of think, well, I wonder your part in this, right? Now, you can't control what happens to you. You can't control others, but you can control what you do. And a lot of us are not experiencing the goodness of God because of our own actions. It's like if I, when I was 21, I got given as a birthday present a voucher to go climb the Harbour Bridge, you know, the Harbour Bridge climb. And it was amazing, right? I don't know if you've been a tourist in your own city, but I highly recommend that experience, except if you don't like heights, right? Don't do it. But it's an amazing experience going up there. It's so big, you see a lot. Now, if I... I'm recommending it, right? And if you took me up on that recommendation, then I'm going to do it. And you came back to me and said, you know what, James? We did it. And it was horrible. I said, oh, what happened? I said, well, I know you said go during a nice day, but we decided to go when it was wet and windy. And I know you're supposed to obey the instructors, but I decided I can do this myself. I don't need a harness. Anyway, that caused a bit of a fuss. And I decided to walk up backwards the whole way, Right? And when I got to the top, I wanted to throw confetti, but they wouldn't let me, and then when I got arrested, because I did. You know, I think, well, it is good to climb the Harbour Bridge, but what you've done has gone against everything else, and you wonder why it's not good. Same as when it comes to life, right? God has made this life. He's made you, and he's made it in a way in which you are to live it, to experience the goodness of it. But if you go against it, you'll not experience that goodness. You know, when God says in the Bible, do not lie, you know why he's saying that? He's not saying, well, let's see how they go with that one. No, no, no. He's saying it because he wants you to experience the goodness of being a truth teller. He wants to prevent you from having the enormous energy it takes to lie and to keep that lie going and make sure everyone is on page with the lie that you've created. He wants you to remove that and embrace the goodness of being a truth teller. When God says, do not get drunk, the intention behind that is that God, alcohol is good, but he doesn't want you to be consumed by it. But that you can be honest, you can be fun, you can be free without alcohol overwhelming your body. When God says in the Bible, do not embrace coarse joking, or making fun of others, or tearing down others, but be kind and considerate. What the good behind that is he wants your friendships, your marriages, your relationships with your family, your co-workers to be full of peace, for them to grow, to be healthy. He wants you to experience the goodness that is God. Because there is a goodness, friends, that our world, Satan, and sinful self is robbing us of. You know, when Adam and Eve were in that garden, the serpent came 
and said, you know what? If you obey God, you will be miserable. So instead of tasting obedience, they took that apple, sin, and the whole world was broken. And the same is for you and I. We think, if I obey God, I'll be miserable. And so we taste sin all the time and we wonder why our little world is broken. Friends, there is an area of your life, every single one of us has an area of our life where we're keeping God at distance, where we think, I know you're good, Lord, but I don't think you're good in this area. Or I think you may even got it wrong in this area. But God wants you to taste, to experience, actually, he is good. And this takes faith to think, actually, though my head may not believe it, I want to taste and experience, I'm going to do this. And not just do it in a way that my kids do when they're trying new food, right? Little nibble. No, no, no. To taste. To actually take a step. I'm actually going to obey you, God. And there where you're doing that, you will experience a goodness. Think, ah, I know the Lord is good, but now I know the Lord is good. This is, friends, what sanctification is. It's not just getting rid of sin in your life. It is the Holy Spirit working in your life to sing and to testifying and affirming, yes, the Lord is good and his ways are good. But there's another part, the C part. We looked at the taste part. Let's look at the C part. And the C part's really trust. You know the trust exercise? You remember that? Where you do this and then family or friends are behind you and they catch you, right? Have you ever done that? Probably haven't done it in a while. But it's a trust exercise. Do you trust the people behind you to catch you, Right? And whether you do it or not is a reflection on do you actually trust them or not? David is saying, I know that you trust God. I know that your Lord is good. But there's a seeing, there's an experiencing that goodness, particularly when hard times comes. You know, when fears well up, when you're terrified, how is it that you taste and see that the Lord is good in those times? Verse 4 is the answer. And look what David does. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Note he doesn't remove all the fears, right? But he delivers. But the order is important, right? In order to have delivered from all the fears, what does he do? Verse 4, I sought the Lord. That the fears well up, the worriedness, the worriedness, anxiousness comes. And where does David go? Pray. I sought the Lord. There, he's experiencing the goodness of God. Because you and I, where, where do you go when you're worried? What do you do? What's your gut reaction? Where, where do you, who do you seek? It might be that friend that you call. Because you want to hear those words as you debrief. It'll be okay. For some of us, we plan, we write to-do lists, we organizing, so we maybe even protect ourselves from betting in that situation, right? Because we do things that so we ourselves will know, like, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. But David is saying, when the worries come up, try going to God first. Go to him with your fears and worries and say, God, I'm petrified. I'm scared. I'm worried. And if you do that and stay in that space, they would say you will experience 
the goodness of God in ways that running to others you will not find. Now, look, to be honest, I'm not a spiritual kind of guy, right? We did a quiz a couple of years ago as a staff team, and most of the staff in their top five and their personality had spirituality in their top five. Me, I had it in my top 30. <laughs> I'm sorry, you got the raw end of the straw with the unspiritual pastor, but I'm not that kind of sort of spiritual. But friends, there are times when I've done this, when my default is to just process and think and plan and try and get out of it. But the times is I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm actually not going to do, but just be with the Lord. There is an intimacy with God. There is a rest there, a comfort there that I cannot tell you you will not find anywhere else, no matter how good a listener the other person is. Because verse 8 says, Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Some of us have not been in that space for whatever reason. Some of you have been there but have forgotten it. Taste and see the Lord is good when the worries come. You know, up in North Queensland, up in Darwin, that kind of thing, cyclo country, when the cyclones come, there's a whole bunch of cyclone shelters. They're on the screen. There's two types of shelters. There's a cyclone shelter, and that's what there's the other shelters I noticed. Teepees made out of driftwood. Now, one's an official building. The other's made by kids. You can go to either of them when the cyclone comes. My recommendation is you go to the cyclone shelter. Because no matter where you are, the cyclone's still coming. But one brings a lot more trust. One is a safer refuge than the other. And friends, you will go to places when you are worried, all sorts of refuges, and they may last for a little bit, but when you are in that refuge of the Lord God, it doesn't mean the fears go away, but you know that he is big enough, he's got them, and he's got you. One more thing. Embarrassment. When you're ashamed. You know, this moment for David is not a high point in his life. It's not, as I said before, anything remotely like him facing Goliath. You know, when he took that sling into confidence, you know, he went out. Here he's panicked. He's not, it's not an impressive story. He hopes probably no one retells it. There's those songs about it. And I imagine, like you, you've experienced moments like this, which have not been your highlights at all, right? You have disappointed yourself. You're full of regret, embarrassment. You're ashamed. Why did I do that? And even in those moments, right, you and I will go to fake refuges when we're utterly embarrassed, utterly ashamed. We might go to some place that try and numbs the pain, numbs the embarrassment, right? It might be shopping. It might be porn. It might be shaming others so that you feel bad, uh, feel good. Others of us just go into highly critical mode. Why did I do that? Why did I do it? replay the situation again and again? Others of you just sit in the mess and think, yeah, typical of me. This is the kind of idiot that would do that, and I'm that idiot. Wherever you go, right, there's an alternative here that verse 5 says, that David's suggesting. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. In those moments, friends, like David has experienced, you have a choice. Go to the fake refuges or go to him. Go to Jesus. 
And though you may have been a fool, though you may have been stupid, and others may not want to associate you, Jesus does. In those, in those moments, you can go elsewhere or you can go to Jesus, to his presence, and say, I may condemn myself. Others may condemn me, but I know, Lord Jesus, you have not condemned me. I may be a letdown in everyone else's eyes. But when you look at me, God, through the lens of Jesus, you do not see what others see or I see. Friends, that is tasting, that is seeing when the storms come, when those embarrassing moments come, that the Lord is good. But you not just know it, but you know it. In my home, I've noticed of late our windows have been quite dirty. And I've just gotten used to it. Just over the years, the muck, the dirt, just shadowed almost, grey shadows on the windows. And you look out and you just get used to it. But then I cleaned it the other day. And I thought, whoa, it's so clean. My garden looks so different. And it's amazing, friends, as a Christian, the longer you go on, you can just get used to monotony, just bit by bit. Yeah, I know the Lord is good. But here David is inviting you, no matter how long you've been a Christian for, the taste and seeing part is not just when you become a Christian, but it is when you've been a Christian for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And he is saying, come, taste and see. Don't just stand there. Trust. Don't just nibble. Bite. Taste and see the Lord is good. And when you have that, and it's not an everyday kind of thing, but these moments that communion with God that you crave and you want to seek out again, that you can't go long, too long without, and you want to share it with others. And by which you will say what David says, verse Psalm 34, I'll extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Let's pray. Lord God, you are good. You have been and you always will be. But we believe the lie of the serpent, that you aren't, that your ways aren't, and that there are other things better than you. We ask, Lord, we're sorry for this. We're sorry for the times when we give in. But we ask, Lord, that we would not be a people that just know because we've been told it or we've read it that you are good, but that we would step in and experience and taste and see that you are good by the way that we live our life, by the way when hard things come, that we would experience that goodness, that you are that refuge that you are close, that you are strong, that we have nothing to fear. And we pray that we would experience that blessing, that goodness, for there, there is life.